Hello, and welcome to this message from Skip Heitzik of Calvary Church. We pray God uses this message to reach people around the world. If this message encourages you, let us know. Email us at mystory@calvaryabq.org. And if you'd like to support this ministry financially, you can give online securely at calvaryabq.org. When you become bitter in life, you plant kernels of unresolved anger and resentment and become trapped by an overgrown jungle of bitter fruit. In the message, The Destructive Harvest of a Bitter Heart, Skip examines four attributes of a heart poisoned by bitterness. Now we invite you to open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 12 as Skip begins. Would you turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Hebrews chapter 12? We're in a series we've called White Collar Sins, and I've worn a white collar for the occasion. And uh, we're studying something today that um, some of you might find very appropriate. In fact, something that some of you struggle with. In the uh, 16th century, there were two renowned artisans who were both hired to beautify the Vatican in Rome. One was Michelangelo, the other was Raphael. Michelangelo was a painter who fancied himself a sculptor. Raphael, of course, was the renowned sculptor. Both of them did very different tasks. Both of them were highly regarded in their own particular fields. But interestingly, a bitterness broke out between them, a rivalry broke out between them, so that whenever they would pass each other in the hall or even meet, they refused to speak to each other. Everybody could see it. It became a renowned bitterness. And the ironic thing is that both of them were doing this for the glory of God. Doing it for the glory of God while holding on to bitterness at the same time. Unfortunately, when you get people that are that revered and renowned, uh, that bitterness, that rivalry, uh, everybody can can taste it. It, it defiles so many people. And um, it becomes renowned. For example, uh, Winston Churchill. Everybody knows, most people know that there was this long-going, long-ongoing rivalry between Winston Churchill and a woman named Lady Astor. And they would often say things to each other, publicly even, to put down each other, and it got to, to be really bad. So, for example, oh, on one occasion, Lady Astor said to Winston Churchill publicly, Sir, if you were my husband, I would put poison in your tea. Unfazed by that, he turned to her and said, Madam, if I were your husband, I would drink that tea. <laughs> Most everyone can think of a bitter person. But seldom will you find someone willing to admit that they are a bitter person. And yet, I think more people may deal with, struggle with, a root of bitterness than we think. I will admit that when I was a young man, a young boy, I became angry, and that anger turned to bitterness toward my own father. He was a harsh man, not very gracious, very demanding, very exacting, and I struggled with that, and it became, for a period of time, very dark, and God had to do a work, and God did do a work of restoration and reconciliation. But it was something that I struggled with as a young man. And I was reading um, a little article blog by a counselor by the name of Mike DuBose who lived for years being bitter at his own father. He was angry and bitter because his dad left the family when Mike was a young boy. 
he said he was talking to a counselor who said, you know, Mike, it's interesting that people from similar backgrounds, same circumstances as you, even within the same family, can react different ways. For example, he said, you might have one child, like you, become very resentful. At the same time, in the same family, you might have a child who doesn't become resentful, but learns from it, and grows from it, and becomes better because of it. So that set him on a path of healing. But Mike DeBose said, tells of a conversation that he had with a friend who was 70 years old. I'll let him tell the story. He said, we spoke about his bad childhood and how he still resented his father, who had been dead for years. You can imagine, if he's 70 years old, his dad would have been gone many years before. I advised him to forgive and move on, but he said angrily, I will never forgive my father even to the grave. His dead father, said Mike, his dead father and his negative childhood experiences were still haunting him and generating anger more than 60 years later. And he concluded by writing, bitterness had taken deep root in his mind and his heart. Listen, of all the human emotions that are out there, this is one that you ought to fear the most. Because bitterness is emotional cancer. As one leader put it, bitterness blows out the candle of joy and leaves the soul in darkness. You know, bitter people are like porcupines. A bit. They may have many fine points but they're very hard to get close to. And they're hard to get close to because they're harsh, they're critical, they're unforgiving, they're judgmental, they're sarcastic, angry. But it's more than just anger. It's anger that has grown into something, morphed into something. Or they're like icebergs. They're very cold toward you. They're very cold-shouldered, aloof, act like they don't need you, they don't want you, they got nothing to say, I'm good without you. And like icebergs, most of the problem is underneath. You're only seeing the tip of the iceberg. The real problem is what's going on under the surface. Now today, we're dealing with the garden of your own heart, so to speak. What you allow to grow in your soul. So we're going to look at bitterness. And I want to show you out of this text, the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. Four attributes of bitterness. We're going to follow the stages of its growth. From a small seed put into a certain kind of soil that nurtures and nourishes it, that eventually grows a root system, that eventually produces fruit. So let's begin by saying that bitterness begins with small seeds. I'm taking you to chapter 12 of Hebrews, verse 12, where he begins in this paragraph, Therefore... Strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Now this paragraph opens up with a, a metaphor of a racer, of a runner. 
It's something the author begins with in the first few verses of the same chapter where he says, let us run the race that is set before us. Now he returns to this metaphor, and now here is the runner on the track whose hands are drooping down. He's losing the proper form for running. He's becoming exhausted, and in his exhaustion, his knees get wobbly. And in the very second verse, verse 13, he's veering off his own path, getting into the next lane, which can become detrimental. It can dislocate his own joints, or it can hurt a fellow runner. So the picture then is of a Christian, a believer, running the race of faith who becomes discouraged. What is it that discourages the runner? People. Because you'll notice that he says, pursue peace with all people. You know, the biggest challenge to your peace is people. Of all the circumstances in life, people are the source of rattling your cage. Why? Because people can hurt us, they can upset us, they can offend us, they can affront us, they can ignore us, and all of those things hurt. However, what we fail to lose sight of when people hurt us, and that is where bitterness begins, by the way, with that anger due to hurt, what we fail to see is that perhaps God is actually using those difficult people to get our attention, to use them as a course correction, to chasten us. By the way, that is the context of the entire chapter. He starts with a runner metaphor, goes back to it, but in between he talks about the chastening of the Lord. I want you to see a few verses. Look at verse 3. For consider him, that is Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, implying that's what Jesus went through. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. Here's the quote. My son, do not despise the chastening, that is chastising, that is correction, that is spanking. Do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Now, when you lose sight of that fact, that God could be using a difficult person to chastise you, to course correct you, when you start seeing people not as God's correction, you start thinking that they're the devil's aggravation. This can't be from God. It has to be from the devil. Well, maybe it's from God because he's chastening you. God can use those difficulties. But that word that the person says, that deed that that person does, it becomes a seed that is planted in your heart that if you allow it to grow, leads to bitterness. And I've noticed something. When people are discouraged like this runner is here, when you are discouraged, you are most vulnerable to those kind of thoughts inwardly that lead to a bitter heart. So where does bitterness come from? It comes from a seed of anger planted by somebody who has hurt you. Bitterness begins to germinate when something happens to you that you don't think you deserve. I don't deserve this. I don't know why this is happening to me. I don't deserve this. It's like the student who went to his professor in college, very angry because the professor gave him a zero on his test. And he said, excuse me, I don't deserve this zero. 
professor said, I agree with you. You don't deserve it, but it's the lowest grade I could give you. (laughs) Now, sometimes people want to hurt you. It's an intentional statement or deed. Other times it's not intended at all to hurt you. In fact, sometimes it's imaginary. You just are imagining this whole thing. And yet, though they're not trying to hurt you, they hurt you. You feel slighted. Bitterness is simply internalized anger that you let fester over time. You you hold on to it long enough, and the anger will change. It will morph into something else, and that is resentment and then bitterness. An article I found in Psychology Today, the author said, all bitterness starts out as hurt. And then the author says it festers into an anger. He continues, for anger and its first cousin resentment is what we're all likely to experience whenever we conclude that another has seriously abused us. Left to fester, that righteous anger eventually becomes the corrosive ulcer that is bitterness. So, the picture in Hebrews chapter 12 is discouragement has planted a seed of hurt. The hurt has turned to anger. The anger becomes resentment, and eventually the resentment becomes bitterness. According to Stephen Diamond, a Ph.D. on this subject, he defines bitterness as a chronic and pervasive state of smoldering resentment. And I thought that was very picturesque, a smoldering resentment. And he said he regards this as one of the most destructive and toxic of all human emotions. So bitterness begins with small seeds. But then it grows. And uh, the second characteristic, the second attribute I want you to see is that bitterness requires the right kind of soil. So you look at something and notice it in verse 15, if you don't mind. The author says, looking carefully, that means paying attention very diligently, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Now, the truth is, you can never outstrip or outrun the grace of God. The Bible says where sin abounds, grace overflows. But you can come short of it. You can lose sight of the grace of God. And when a person misses the grace of God in his or her life, they become susceptible to a life of bitterness. Why? Because when we forget how gracious God was to us, then we cease being gracious to other people. And why aren't we gracious? Well, this is what you deserve. This is not what I deserve. You know, we we start forgetting just how merciful and gracious God was to us. So we need to grow in grace. Because if we don't grow in grace, bad things can grow in us. And one of those bad things is this, bitterness. Now some soils are easier to plant things in than others. So it is with human hearts. There are some people's hearts that are just ripe for growing a harvest of bitterness. And what kind of heart is that? Um, people who hold on to things and never let them go. If we keep ruminating on wrongs in the past, keep chewing on something that somebody did to us in the past, it begins to affect us in the present, and it becomes an essential part of who we are. 
It is our new identity. We are that hurt one. We are the victim. Let me tell you a story of somebody who was like that in the Bible. She didn't start out that way. Her name was Naomi in the book of Ruth. Naomi is a name that means pleasant, agreeable, friendly. What a great name. Here comes Miss Pleasant. I can see her coming down the road in Bethlehem, smiling at everybody. Well, she gets married and has kids. There's a famine in the land of Israel, in Bethlehem, where she's from. That's sort of the breadbasket of ancient Israel. It forces her family to go out and seek food in Moab, a neighboring country. And things go from bad to worse. She loses her husband, Elimelech. She loses her two boys, Malon and Kilion. They both die. So she's bereft of three males in her family. All of that pain that occurs to her becomes a seed that grows in her heart, a seed of anger that becomes bitterness toward God. God's the only one left that she can blame, so she blames God. So she comes back to Bethlehem because now there's food back in the land of Israel. She comes back to town. People see her and they go, oh, look, Naomi's back. Miss Pleasant is back with us. And listen to her response. She said, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara. The word means bitter. Now she's defining herself as a bitter person. Self-admission. Don't call me pleasant. You call me bitter. Now listen to why. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, not really true, and the Lord brought me home again empty. The Lord has testified against me. The Almighty has afflicted me. Now in that little group of sentences, four times she blames God. Four times she says, I'm bitter and it's God's fault. Four times she says, I'm not happy and it's God's fault. She's now defined her very life by that destructive emotion of bitterness. And that'll, it, that'll happen. Bitterness turns you into a perpetual victim. Which is a bad place to be, but it's a very convenient place to be. Because if you're always the victim... You can justify your anger. I'm angry and I have a right to be angry. If you're always a victim, you hold on to that anger. You blame others. It's always somebody else's fault. You play the victim. And if you analyze it carefully and biblically, you'll discover something. Bitterness is really a form of pride. Because in bitterness you are saying, God, I don't deserve this. By the way, it's not smart to pray, God, give me what I deserve. Because what you deserve is far from what you may think you deserve. But this is a form of pride to say, I don't deserve this. I deserve much better. So, when a hurt comes your way, if it's a word somebody says, if it's an action somebody does, don't let that take root in your heart. You can't let that thing continue to grow. Don't water it with self-exalting thoughts. Don't fertilize it with other people's sympathies. you got to root it out. Because if you hold on to it, it's going to grab hold of you and not let you go. The world is filled with people who have not dealt with past hurts. And people who don't deal with past hurts, there's a profile that they eventually fit into. 
They are critical. They notice bad things around them, not good things. Always they notice all the bad things. Uh, Not only are they hypercritical, but they're fault finders. They're sin sniffers. Somebody's rotten around here. I I can smell sin. And when they talk about people, they can't help themselves. There's going to be a put down in that conversation somewhere. It's going to go negative. Bitterness is what puts a scowl on one's face and puts venom in one's words. It's bitterness that has grown. So it begins with small seeds. It requires the right kind of soil for it to grow. But the third characteristic, the third attribute, is that bitterness develops deep roots. Again, look at verse five, uh, 15. Excuse me. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by this many become defiled. Now, this whole root of bitterness thing, um, the author of Hebrews didn't come up with this on his own. Uh, He's referring, I believe, to a text in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 29, where the author um, is writing what God said to the people of Israel. Deuteronomy 29, the Lord said, There shall not be among you those with a root bearing bitterness or wormwood. And the meaning of that in Deuteronomy 29 originally refers to those people who are superficially identified with the God of Israel, but they're going back to their old roots. Paganism. They're they're leaving the covenant relationship. They're uh, forsaking the grace of God, forgetting the covenant of God, and um, they're not bearing spiritual fruit. Their life is defined by a root of bitterness, not a sweet root, not one that grows good fruit. Here's the larger point. People who let a seed like this grow in the soil of their hearts eventually develop a root system that grows and grows larger and grows stronger and pretty soon becomes immovable. Why is it called a root? Because it's hidden. You don't see it. You walk over roots of trees all the time. They're growing underneath you. They're not apparent at first, at first. They will be apparent later on because the root is going to produce fruit. But at first it's hidden. And while it grows hidden, unseen, it grows stronger and it can be destructive. I have this tree in the back of my house and I've used it in many illustrations. But one thing that you need to know is that when it was growing early on and it's grown quite large, um, I had people tell me, you got to get rid of that that this kind of tree can destroy houses, can destroy foundations, because the roots uh, tend to be surface roots, and uh, they can just break things up and break foundations up and break heating ducts up. But I love this tree. I haven't gotten rid of it. Well, I have paid a consequence for it, because my back porch shows a nice, long, crowning crack. Because one of the roots of that tree, put it there, it can be very destructive. And so a root of bitterness will grow its tentacles around your heart and choke off spiritual life and choke off emotional life and will dominate your life if you let it. And so Paul says, no wonder he says this in Ephesians 3, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander and every form of malice. Some people are bitter at their parents. Some people are bitter at 
churches. Some people are bitter at leaders. Some people are bitter at their ex-spouses. Some people are bitter at their current spouses. Bitterness destroys homes. Colossians chapter 3 verse 19, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Sometimes, rather than a husband or wife being the better half, they're the bitter half. And it's a big problem among God's people. I think bitterness holds back the power of God. Our life gets so clogged by this root system, we need to get Roto-Rooter in there now. Because the power of God is sort of just, the drain is clogged. God wants to move, but our bitter hearts block Him from doing that. See, when your heart is bitter, God will not be real to you. And that's because hatefulness and holiness cannot dwell in the same heart. They're exclusive. So instead of letting that seed grow and grow and branch out a root system, you need to plant your life in better soil. Listen to Paul's words in Ephesians 3. Being rooted and grounded in love. And again in Colossians chapter 2, being rooted and built up in Him. So when you sink your life into the rich soil of God's love and into that rich soil and, and, and life of God's character, that's the soil. That's, that's where you want to be plugged into. In uh, Ephesians 3, which I just mentioned, I'm going to read two verses in the New Living Translation. Ephesians 3, 17 and 18. Listen up. I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts as you trust Him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love really is. Wouldn't you rather live there? Wouldn't you rather be plugged into that kind of soil? So that it's inexhaustible. Oh, the love of God in all directions. Well, once you grow the right root, you'll get the right fruit. Which leads us to the fourth attribute of bitterness. And that is, bitterness will produce bad fruit. So it begins as a seed. You allow it to grow. You nurture it. You hold on to it. You ruminate over it. You chew on it. It grows. It develops a root system. And over time, it produces something. And it's always bad. Would you look at verse 15 to see what he says? Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness... Now watch this. Springing up. Ah. Now it's not hidden anymore. Now it springs up through the soil, and when you walk by it in the spring or summer, you see it now. So that's that's what's happened to this little tree of mine. Those little roots have not only busted through the concrete... Every spring, they sprout these little extra trees. It's it's sort of like saying, we're here and we're taking over. And it just springs up through the soil. Now watch what it does. Springing up causes trouble. That means it causes you trouble. Some translations say troubling you. So first of all, the root grows in your direction. And then notice the second part. And by this, that is by it growing toward you and ruining you, by this, many become defiled. So the root of bitterness, the root of bitterness, always grows in two different directions. Toward you, 
if you harbor bitterness, and toward others who are defiled by it. Bitterness is like taking poison, hoping that your enemy will die. You go, oh, good, I'm going to get that person back. Poison. When's it going to happen? And all the while, it's self-destructive. You're the one being corroded. Bitterness is a form of emotional suicide. It saps the peace of mind out of your life. Dr. Leon Seltzer said, It can, that is bitterness can, lead to long-lasting anxiety and depression. It can precipitate vengeful or violent acts. It can create an attitude of cynicism. It can rob you of potential joys. It can interfere with healthy, satisfying relationships. And it can undermine your physical health. Who wants that? That's what it does to the person who harbors it and dishes it out. Destroys that person. And let me add another one. It can, it can ruin your relationship with God. It won't sever it. It won't take it away, but it'll ruin it. First John chapter 4, verse 20. If someone says, I love God, but hates another Christian or a brother, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we have not seen? There's an old saying that goes, bitterness does more damage to the vessel in which it is stored than to anyone upon which it is poured. You think that that bitterness is going to satisfy your heart and get back at that person. It's really, you're, the damage is being done in you. Second, it grows not only toward you, but toward others. Notice that last part. It says, by this, that is by you, by it destroying you, by this, many become defiled. I was reading the words of a pastor who said, I have a lady in my church who's in her 80s. And 50 years ago, her aunt said something to her that was very hurtful. And uh, she held on to that pain to this day. And when she tells the story of what her aunt said to her, she tells it in such vivid detail and with such emotional outbreak, it's as if it happened to her yesterday. She is is as as emotional about what happened 50 years ago as it just freshly happened to her. So he said, 50 years later, and she is still in the hands of the torturer. 50 years later, and she's still defiling many by the telling of those details that happened way back when. In the book of Acts chapter 8, It's a great story, but it's a sad story. It's a great story in that Philip left Jerusalem and goes up to Samaria and he preaches the gospel and people in Samaria hear it. They respond. They believe in Jesus or revival breaks out. And many people in that city are physically healed, miraculously healed. So the gospel goes out in great power. The bad part is there's a guy in town in Samaria named Simon the sorcerer, Simon Magus. And he had been tricking these people a long time. They all thought he was something special because he had all these wonder-working tricks. So in come the evangelists. They preach the gospel. People believe in Jesus. They get physically healed. Now they get top billing. And old Simon the sorcerer over here is kind of like, nobody's watching my channel anymore. So he gets all upset and goes to the apostles. He's angry. goes to the apostles and he offers to give them money to buy the power of the Holy Spirit, it says. Hey, what does that cost? I want to do that trick. That's that's cool. And Peter turns to him and says, You are poisoned 
by bitterness. And you are bound by iniquity. See, the disciples, these apostles, are getting more attention than Simon is. And he's angry and he's bitter. And, and Peter nailed it. He says, you are poisoned by bitterness. And then Peter says this, repent. Okay, now that I've exposed that root in you, turn from it. Root it out. Turn around. Repent that perhaps the thought of your heart would be forgiven you. The words bitter and better both start with B and end with ter. But what is the difference between better and bitter? Single letter. When you put I in that word, it's bitter. When you take I out of that word, it's better. When you put I in it, and that's always the problem, when it's always about I, me, myself, what I deserve, you are prone to become a better person. When you take I out, and it's not about what I want, it's what thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. Not I, but him, you. Life gets so much better. And I know, I, I am, I'm absolutely certain that everyone here has something or someone in their background that they could use as an excuse to get bitter. It could potentially cause bitterness if you let it. And that's why we need to bring it to the foot of the cross and say, it's yours, God. I give it to you. I give my life to you. I lay my pain down before you. And because even those people who have caused such pain, think of it as God's course correction because the author here uses Jesus as an example. Look at those mean people, those bad people who arrested Jesus and treated Him horribly and put Him on a cross. Yeah, but the cross was the best thing that ever happened to humanity. So the, best, the worst thing becomes the best thing. Couldn't God do that with us? Couldn't all those bitter things that happened in the past actually make you a better person? Yeah, if you take I out. Take I out and put thy in there. It's all about him, what you want, what you're doing in my life. Life gets so much better rather than bitter. Let's pray together. Let's ask, let's take those things before him. Let's leave them there. And Father, we come and we we want to tell you that we, um, like everybody else, we deal with issues in our heart. Issues of hurt. Some of us are hurt very easily. Some of us are a little bit dense and we don't really get a clue when we're hurt. And that's probably good. But it's it, we're still vulnerable nonetheless. And especially when we're discouraged. And people have done things to us and said things to us. and We felt ignored by some. Not appreciated by others. And some of us have had to deal with vile past experiences horrible, life-changing experiences. But Father, by, by the grace of God, lest we come short of it, we say, God, you've been so good to us, so gracious to us. We don't ever want to come short of that or lose sight of it. But realize that since you have been so free to forgive us, would you, by your grace, give us the freedom to set others free by forgiving them? And not holding on to the past of what they did to us any more than we hold on to the past of what we've done to you. 
and you've forgiven us. So, Lord, I pray that you would let us be rooted in good soil, in better soil, in your loving soil. Lord, I also want to pray for those who don't have a relationship with you yet. They've come, they've been invited by a friend or family member. And we want them to feel welcome, but more than anything else, we want them to go to heaven. We want them to be forgiven. We want them to have a new life, a spiritual life. A life where they're enabled to do what they couldn't do in their own flesh. So, Lord, I pray that you would move some who have come into a relationship with you where they realize how good you are and forgiving you are as their sins are forgiven by their receiving Christ as Savior. So our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, and I want you to think about your life. Is there something in your life that has kept you back from a personal relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ? Maybe it's a past hurt. Somebody hurt you really badly. Maybe it's a past failure on your part even. And you think, well, I'm not good enough or I'm not perfect enough. Perfect. You're just, you're just at the right place then. Or maybe you feel hurt like a, by a parent. And you're thinking, why should I trust in God? He might let me down. Let God prove that wrong. Whatever that pain is, let it go. And let something else grow in its place. Seek, sink your, your roots deep into the soil of God's love for you today. So if you're here and you don't know Christ personally, if you've never made a personal decision, that yes, Lord, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. Not just a religious experience, not just I go to church, I hang out with people who believe in God and trust in Jesus, I'll pray and I'll sing, but it's a personal relationship, a decision on your part to give your life to Christ. Or maybe, maybe you've wandered from Him. You need to get back on track with Him and enjoy that pleasant fruit, that newness of life, that lightness of heart. If that describes you, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, my head is up, my eyes are open, I will acknowledge as you raise your hand and you're saying, Skip, pray for me. I want to give my life to Christ today. I'm going to surrender right now to the Lord Jesus Christ. You raise your hand and I'll acknowledge you. I want to pray for you. I'd like to know who I'm praying for specifically. So you raise your hand and you're saying, I'm going to give my life to Christ. God bless you on the left and right there. And, and, and toward the back, all on my left. Anybody else? Anyone else? Raise your hand up. God bless you. To my right. And you. And you. In the back. Yes. It's so freeing to say, Lord, I'm just, I want to step into freedom. I want to experience your love, your grace, your forgiveness. God bless you. In the balcony, I see your hand. bless you and you right in the middle so father my prayer is as is the prayer of my brothers and sisters that real transformation will take place 
in every life represented by that hand. There may be a background of pain or hurt. There may may be a background of deep failure. But Lord, the truth is you love them. And you, are, you, you sent your son just for this reason, to restore, to set things right. I pray, Father, that, that these who have raised their hand would experience a freedom inside, a freedom to think and see life and people differently, a freedom to view you differently. More than anything else, Lord, that they'll have new freedom in a life rooted in Christ as they experience your forgiveness of their sins in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet, please? As we sing this final song, I'm going to ask now those of you who raise your hand, no matter where you are, would you find the nearest aisle by you and walk this way? And let me pray a word of prayer with you when you come. As soon as you come up, everybody's here. I'm going to lead you in a word of prayer. This is the day when you give your life to Christ. I do this because Jesus himself called people publicly. And you'll hear how we encourage you. We'll clap for you. You're so welcome here. You come and stand right up here. That's good. Awesome. Welcome to the altar. The Father's arms are Just another couple moments. Welcome to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You know, it could be that when you come to church and you look at Christians, you might have the wrong thought that, well, those people have it all together. Those are perfect people. And I'm not a person who has it all together, therefore I can't come to God because I don't have it all together. You come to God as you are. He knows you don't have it all together. That's why Jesus came, to get you all together. So... So you come as you are, and if you're broken, good, you come and let God fix you. If your heart is busted up, let God pour His healing bomb and make all things new. I have never yet met a family who's not a dysfunctional family, not one. We all got a background. We've got something, someone. God knows that. That's why He gives us the church, a brand new family. 
This is not a religious group, contrary to popular opinion. I am not a religious person. I think religion damages people. I think a real relationship with Jesus is what heals people. You just get real with God. And salvation begins when a broken man or woman admits, I need your help. I need your help, God. That's where God meets us in our brokenness. So if there's anybody else, we're just going to give it another moment, and then we're going to pray and let you guys go. But anybody else, it's an opportunity. Seize it. Take it. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was brought with the precious blood of Yes. Now, if you don't mind, can I ask everyone who's come forward, will you just step this way a little bit? Just come on over here. Now it's just us. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Okay, this is very simple. I'm just going to pray out loud. I'm going to ask you to say these words of this prayer out loud after me. You say them from your heart. You say them to God. You know, prayer is a very simple thing. It's just talking to God. So, as I, as I pray, you say these words after me, okay? But tune, in fact, tune us all out. Just tune God in and say, Lord, I give you my life. I know that I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. I believe in Jesus. I believe He came to earth. That He died for my sin. That He shed His blood for me. That He rose from the dead. That He's alive right now. I turn from my sin. I leave my past behind. All the hurts and all the pain. I turn to Jesus as my Savior. Help me to live for Him as my Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. Living a life of bitterness is to walk down a self-destructive road that banishes peace and promotes self-centeredness. How will you fight against bitterness taking over your life? Let us know. Email us at mystory@calvaryabq.org. And just a reminder, you can give financially to this work at calvaryabq.org. Thank you for joining us for this teaching from Skip Heitzig.